Hello all, and welcome to this episode of No Home for Heroes. No Home for Heroes explores history's military mysteries regarding Americans who are missing in action from our past wars. These long-forgotten MIAs are remembered here. Today's episode is the final part of last week's story titled, Finding a Rock in an Australian Cloud. These episodes of No Home for Heroes were taken from case number 0411 in the files of the Chief Rickstone and Family Charitable Foundation. Pilots all over the world have a grim saying about aircraft crashes usually caused by pilot error in flying too low to the ground. Pilots all over the world refer to it as, quote, finding a rock in a cloud, end quote. After over 60 years, an American Army officer, as Army Air Corps officer, was identified as the victim of finding that infamous rock in a cloud during World War II. But was it really the person identified, or some other unfortunate pilot who found that rock? Today, we will try to finally answer that question. I'm your host, Rick Stone, bringing you another great and true story from our vault of history's military mysteries. No Home for Heroes is a trademark production sponsored by the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. For more information on the Foundation, visit our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. We invite you to listen to all of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast or streaming platform you prefer. We dedicate today's episode to our loyal listeners at the United States Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, Colorado. May none of you ever find a rock in a cloud. A little bit after 8 o'clock in the morning on March 10, 1942, Captain Joseph Potter McLaughlin eased his 5-foot, 5-inch frame into the cockpit of a P-40E Kitty Hawk fighter plane in Canberra, Australia, on a planned return flight to his home base at Laverton Field, oh, about 255 miles away. He did not inform anyone of the direction he was heading when he took off. He also did not plan on finding a rock in a cloud on this flight, but he did. The question is whether or not we have found him. In reviewing all the materials pertinent to the case of Captain McLaughlin's MIA status, including voluminous documentation supplied by an Australian researcher who requested the involvement of the Foundation, our investigation has revealed the following. When he left Canberra, Captain McLaughlin did not file a flight plan or really tell anyone where he was going. He just got in his airplane and took off. He probably assumed that his original orders to fly to Canberra and return to Laverton Fleet Field negated the need to file any type of flight plan at Canberra. There was severe weather, including rain and low clouds, along Captain McLaughlin's route back to Laverton Field especially as he neared a mountainous area close to his destination. While Captain McLaughlin was an experienced pilot with over 800 hours of flight time, he also had a record for inattention and negligence, which may have contributed to his failure to reckon with the weather until it was too late. 
An air raid warning spotter observed the overflight of a P-40 type airplane near Yay, Australia at approximately 10.10 in the morning on 10 March 1942. This location would be along the track of Captain McLaughlin's flight back to Laverton Field from Canberra and would be about the right time for the distance traveled. Subsequent observations of a large plume of smoke along the last known track of the aircraft indicated that it had crashed. The rugged and isolated terrain no doubt accounted for the delay in finding the crash site until over six years later. When finally found, the wreckage was almost immediately identified by the Royal Australian Air Force as a P-40E Kitty Hawk. Curiously, only eight days after the wreckage was discovered, the Royal Australian Air Force suggested to the United States Army in a radiogram that the remains recovered were possibly those of Captain McLaughlin. This is a surprisingly quick work by the Royal Australian Air Force in deducing that the wreckage was A, an American aircraft to the exclusion of all other types of aircraft that had been flown in that area, and B, that the aircraft was flown by Captain McLaughlin. How did the Royal Australian Air Force determine this so quickly? We don't know. The records do not address this point. The remains recovered were so fragmentary that the recognized best anthropologist in the entire world at the time, Dr. Mildred Trotter, could only determine that the age of the casualty was 20 plus years. And, the, and that the casualty's height was 65.35 inches. Dr. Trotter determined the height based on utilizing a rarely seen aspect of what was known as the Krogman method by determining the, quote, percentage relation of the trochlea of the left humerus only, in cloak. However, this is the only time in examining hundreds of World War II era forensic examinations by our researchers, including over a hundred by Dr. Trotter herself, that the relationship of the trochlear notch to a fragment of the humerus bone has ever been found to have been used in stature determination. The height estimation by Dr. Trotter using this very obscure method must be considered weak at best. There is no doubt that the forensic examination done by Dr. Trotter in 1949 was with the knowledge that Captain McLaughlin had been submitted as the, quote, believed to be, end quote, candidate for identification. The Army Graves Registration Service tried hard to push for Captain McLaughlin's identification based on the location of the find and Dr. Trotter's very limited forensic conclusions on height and age. However, the Quartermaster General quickly and pointedly disapproved the identification because the fragmentary amount of remains contained nothing that could be definitively associated with Captain McLaughlin. Without a doubt, this disapproval of identification was the correct verdict. Foundation researchers have not found a single other identification of a World War II era unknown that was approved based on such a minimal amount of forensic evidence. Captain McLaughlin's case there remained dormant for over 50 years until the United States Air Force Lieutenant General 
requested the status of the case from the Joint POW-MIA Accounting Command, or JPAC, in 2002. JPAC immediately began to research the case and scheduled an investigative team and later even a recovery team to travel to the crash site. From experience, Foundation investigators believe that it is highly unlikely that such a response by JPAC would have been received in such a manner had the inquiry been made by a lesser mortal. There is no doubt that JPAC felt pressure to identify the unknown remains as Captain McLaughlin and actually, and this is hard to believe, but this is true, and actually they disinterred the remains from the burial site in the Punchbowl Cemetery in Honolulu, Hawaii, before the recovery team had even completed their assignment in Australia. This type of aggressive response by JPAC is virtually non-existent outside this very case. The JPAC recovery team located a crash site and excavated an area that revealed small bits of aircraft wreckage, but no human remains. The most important artifact recovered from the crash site by JPAC was a United States Air Corps set of silver pilot wing insignia. The failure to find even the smallest bit of, of human remains, sometimes known as osseous material, is very disturbing. However, based on the fact that no other American pilots were lost anywhere near this location, Foundation researchers believe that there's no doubt that this was the site of Captain McLaughlin's death. The JPAC recovery team also received a watch, a wristwatch, from a local resident that contained two very important bits of evidence. First, the face of the watch indicated that it had stopped between 10 and 11 o'clock, which corresponds to the witness sighting of the P-40 type aircraft over Yay, Australia, and subsequent observation of a crash plume of smoke nearby. There's no doubt that the airplane sighted by the witness was the one flown by Captain McLaughlin. Based on the track of the sighting and later recovery location of the pilot's insignia, it is apparent that Captain McLaughlin decided that he could not proceed through the bad weather to his destination and turned left to either try to skirt the weather or return to his departure field in Canberra. Unfortunately, Captain McLaughlin found a rock in the cloud that he was not expecting when he made his left turn. Second, the watch was engraved on the back with Captain McLaughlin's name, rank, and service initials. Sadly, and this is very, very, very unfortunate, sadly, the exact location where the watch was recovered was not determined by JPAC and cannot be associated with any other specific crash site in the area. Its value to this investigation only serves to prove that Captain McLaughlin died in the vicinity. The presence of the pilot's wings at the site searched by JPAC is much more definitive than the watch. There were many errors of assumption, omission, and interpretation of information made in the JPAC laboratory case file report completed in 2004. 
reports primary conclusion by the JPAC lab director that the remains were those of Captain McLaughlin was clearly heavily influenced by the material evidence section of the report submitted by another member of JPAC, which contained the information on Captain McLaughlin's watch and the pilot wings. The approval of the identification by JPAC's director was really pro forma, as the JPAC commander always deferred to the lab director as the real power at JPAC. It should be noted that JPAC was finally disbanded in 2016 under a barrage of multiple management scandals and frauds, including the JPAC laboratory's participation in phony arrival home ceremonies of MIAs. The lab director was also removed, and the JPAC commander and previous JPAC commander, who was the head of JPAC's sister agency, the Defense POW MIA Missing Office, was also released. In addition, the JPAC member who submitted the error-filled report in 2004 that neglected to tell us where the watch was found was transferred from JPAC's laboratory at its headquarters in Honolulu to an abandoned hangar at a U.S. Air Force base in Offutt, Nebraska. The unknown JPAC anthropologist who examined the remains after the disinterment in 2004, 2004 concluded that the casualty was probably male between 20 and 35 and estimated the height to be from 64.4 inches with a 4.4 inch plus or minus margin of error. <laughs> In other words, this anthropologist said that the remains recovered from the Punchbowl Cemetery was an individual who was from between 5 foot tall to almost 5 foot 9 inches tall. The height was estimated by this unknown JPAC anthropologist by measuring the left fifth metacarpal bone. So if you look down at your left hand right now, that metacarpal bone is the bone that's below the left knuckle of your left little pinky. That's how the anthropologist determined height. Are you buying that? Mm, maybe not. Amazingly, similar to the Dr. Trotter's use of an obscure stature determination technique, this case illustrates the only time in examining hundreds of World War II-era forensic examinations by the JPAC laboratory or its predecessors that the measurement of a metacarpal bone has been used as a stature determination tool. The height estimation by the JPAC anthropologist, whoever he or she was, using this method must also be considered weak at best. In addition, the margin of error established for the metacarpal bone estimate of 4.4 inches plus or minus far exceeds the standard 2.3 inch margin of error normally used by the JPAC laboratory. This wide margin of error makes the height estimate even more suspect. Finally, the overly broad age estimate by the unknown JPAC anthropologist of between 20 and 35 years of age is laughably without value in practically any analysis of a World War II era unknown. There's no doubt that JPAC knew that the remains examined were believed to be Captain McLaughlin. It's equally apparent 
that JPAC in 2004, as did the Army Graves Registration Service in 1949, went to extraordinary lengths to identify the recovered remains as those belonging to Captain McLaughlin. Based on evidence and experience at JPAC, Foundation researchers believe that the Air Force Lieutenant General probably influenced not only the initial reopening of the case, but also the ultimate conclusion that the recovered remains were those of Captain McLaughlin. So, you're asking yourself, and so are we, what are the bottom line findings of our investigation? The known fa failure of Captain McLaughlin to return from his, quote, special mission, end quote, confirms that he likely crashed and did not survive. No documentary evidence has been provided that definitively establishes exactly where, near Wahala, Australia, the remains that were ultimately identified as Captain McLaughlin were discovered. Let me say that again. We don't know exactly where they were recovered. It's just simply not in the report. The Australian researcher who contacted the Foundation provided more than sufficient evidence to cast doubt on the actual number of crash sites in the general area described in the report. There is no link to the watch recovered by JPAC in 2004 to any known specific crash site. The recovery of the watch does establish that Captain McLaughlin was killed and that he died between 10 and 11 o'clock. The Silver Pilot's wings recovered by JPAC in 2004 establishes that Captain McLaughlin was killed at the location examined by JPAC where they did not recover any remains. Combining both forensic examinations of the remains in 1949 and 2004, results in the fact that the only biometric evidence available in this case consists of the following. Sex, male, probably. Age, 20 to 35. Height, 64.4 inches, plus or minus 4.4 inches. It's the experience of Foundation researchers and investigators that no competent medical examiner or anthropologist would presume to identify the remains in this case as Captain Joseph Potter McLaughlin, based on the anthropology examinations alone. Captain McLaughlin cannot be eliminated as a historic or biometric match to the remains recovered near Wahala, Australia in 1949. The known loss of Captain McLaughlin while flying a P-40 type aircraft in the area described in the reports is sufficient to indicate that Captain McLaughlin is a probable match to the remains recovered in 1949. Given the state of the anatomical evidence in this case due to the minimal amount of biometric data sets and the lack of any dental comparison evidence or any submission for DNA examination to the recovered remains, likely it is possible not that Captain McLaughlin can be upgraded to a most likely match. In other words, he cannot be a most likely match, only a probable match, to the remains recovered near Wahala, Australia in 1949. 
the documentary proof should have been established by the JPAC investigative team in 2003 and included in the JPAC laboratory case file. The JPAC recovery team also received a watch, as we've talked about, from a local residence, but it was not established exactly where the watch was found by the resident. Why the JPAC team did not simply ask, please show us where you found the watch to the witness, is unknown. This simple investigative technique would have provided some direct eyewitness evidence and probably resolved the mystery for all time. Unfortunately, the documentation of such a basic investigative technique does not currently exist in the known records examined by Foundation researchers and investigators. So, where does that leave us? We're left with the worst of all scenarios. We call it the kiss your sister result. The preponderance of the evidence indicates that the remains identified as Captain Joseph Potter McLaughlin may or may not be the person buried under his headstone in the Arlington National Cemetery. Therefore, the determination of identity based on the facts presented in all the information examined is classified as inconclusive. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Home for Heroes. We hope you've enjoyed today's production, and we invite you to check out our other episodes on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you like to listen to podcasts. No Home for Heroes is featured on just about any podcast site all across the world. We greatly appreciate your comments, and a special link is available for you to contact us on our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. We again thank you for your support of our mission to provide information to the families of missing American servicemen and missing American servicewomen. Every assistance counts, and you do make a difference. Until next time, be careful, be safe, and wishing you fair winds and following seas, I'm your host, Rick Stone, reminding you that poor is the nation that has no heroes, but shameful is the nation that having heroes forgets them. <laughs>